I see a lot of women doing too many things at once and that's been one of my big learnings is I just try and do one thing at a time. If I'm at home with my family, I'm present and I don't always do that perfectly, but that's my aim. I just try and be present in whatever I'm doing, you know, whether that's being with a staff member or a client. Today, Isabel continues her conversation with Angela Ferguson, CEO of Future Space. We pick up with Angela to learn more about how she works with her husband, Stephen Minette, learned to become financially literate and manages burnout. We'd like to thank our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, which designs, manufactures and distributes leading-edge furniture for corporate and commercial environments. Zenith Interiors inspires organisations to excel. Thanks also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. Synergy is cloud-based business and project management software for architects. It centralises your business and project information, giving you more time for design. Try Synergy free for 30 days at totalsynergy.com forward slash ADR. For this episode of the series, Isabel talks to Angela Ferguson, who is the CEO of FutureSpace and previously ran her own practice, Ferguson Design Studio. She is also an accomplished writer, speaker and design industry thought leader. And now over to Isabel. as a couple as well in life as well as in work how do you balance that it's interesting I have a lot of people say to me oh I could never work with my husband or I don't know how you do it and it does have its challenges and I think we I always joke that you know being married and working together is like dog years every one year of marriage is like seven years so I joke that every anniversary is a diamond anniversary but it forces you to address things we can't bring any personal stuff that's unresolved into the office because I don't think that's fair and everybody else but it does bring up challenges sometimes that like we can be at home having a great time and things things are going beautiful beautifully and then you come into the office and then something happens that will trigger one of you and if we weren't working together that would have never come up but I do think it's forced us to probably work a bit harder on our relationship because it's more important that we are successful as a couple because everything's like we're so enmeshed. You mentioned a business coach as well. How important do you think that's been to your business? I think it's been really important. I had, so Steve and I shared a couple of different coaches until, and it's one of those things too, you've got to get the right fit. And then for the last five years, I was working with a group called Behind Closed Doors, which is a women only group. And it's fantastic. Everything that happens is behind closed doors, but all the other women in the group are at executive level. So there's a couple of business owners, a COO, a CFO, a CEO. And what we do is we each make for half a day once a month. You have goals for the year, you share what your challenges are and all the other women in the group are talking to you as well about how they've either faced the same challenge or the way they've solved a similar problem. We've actually all become really close now and I had one of the women is a CFO so she gave me when I started to take over more of the financial side of the business and I've never been taught any of that stuff and I was just going off my high school maths. Um, she actually gave me secret lessons on how to read a P&L and how to read a lot of the business financial documents that I needed to know about. So I turned up to a meeting with our accountant one day and they, Stephen and our accountant, had no idea that I was having these secret lessons. And I turned up and, you know, I was asking all these questions and I could just see their faces change and go, well, she knows what's going on. Was there a certain point when you realised where that shifted your business to being a profitable business as well, as opposed to just running it 
it was when I had all those lessons on being financially literate. I think that's made a huge change to my, my confidence as well in running the business. We've never been over the top in terms of the way we spend things, but I think just my eyes are much more open now about the day-to-day and the future because it's so tied into that financial management. And so is that a formal group behind closed doors? Yeah, it's a formal group. And we've all actually since left that group because we were part of it for five years. Everything has a lifespan and there's sort of a new wave of women coming in now, but the five of us all catch up still. Were they all from different disciplines as well? Yeah, completely. Professional services. One was IT. Yeah, the other's medicals. So that was separate to your business coach? Yeah, so we had one-on-one business coaching for a while, but I shifted to this and was just doing this. Um, Stephen couldn't come because it's women only. (laughs) But that group scenario worked really well, I think, because you're getting so much out of the other people in the group. Do you think that women have been very generous in terms of that sort of support within the profession for you? I think the right women have. There's been times where I've been on the end of some kind of mean girl type stuff, which threw me a little bit. Within the profession or in, within business? Yeah, it was, it was kind of a shock at the time. I thought we'd all grown out of that and it was pretty upsetting actually. It took me it took me a bit to bounce back. Um, How do you think that you did bounce back? A lot of it was time. And look, this happened, what are we, six years ago. And even just recently, I, I did this retreat where you had to write something and then throw it in the fire. So even then, I was still right. I'm, you know, six years later, I'm still working through some of those little niggling leftover bits of that. And in terms of, you mentioned future planning as well as, as a key aspect of your business plan. What have you put in place to plan for the future? So putting things in place to plan for the future, that's also an evolution. And I think the biggest challenge of running a business, particularly one of our size and particularly one that is interiors only, is that getting that balance right between working in the business and on the business. And I've got to say the last 18 months, I haven't really much worked on the business. I've just been working in the business on the day to day and recently kind of had a realisation that I've been working flat out since I was 18 and whether that's at uni or, you know, uni and part-time full-time and I kind of hit a wall recently with not having a plan for the future because it was this endless cycle of just working six, seven days a week, 60 something hours a week and I hit a bit of a wall. So how did you manage that? How have you gotten over that wall? <laughs> to be honest, it was it was actually a burnout more than a wall. I had this amazing holiday in the middle of the year and I came back And I realised I'm still exhausted and I couldn't concentrate. I had no motivation. To be honest, I was just overwhelmed by my task list. And the only thing I could really get done at work was just writing another list of things to do, which was not very productive. And then coupling all of that with there's no plan for the future. Yeah, I just, I wrote all of this stuff down and looked at it and realised, you know, I'm in burnout. And so what I did was I talked to Stephen about it. And it was one of those things where, you know, sometimes you kind of keep something in for a long time. And then once you put it out there, all these things start to fall into place to make the right outcome happen. And so what happened was he said, well, look, I've been having these conversations with this other person who used to work for us a long time ago and was really interested in reading joining and rejoining as a fairly senior person in the business and kind of taking future space to that 2.0 version of future space. So I put some things in place to look after myself physically and mentally. And then at the same time, we did a bit of planning around bringing this new person into the business who can become the new CEO and take future space on its kind of next evolution. Do you see that as a kind of transition in generations as well? 
Yeah, definitely. Well, I, look, I want future space to be around for, you know, hundreds of years and maybe, I don't know about hundreds, but you look at Woods Bagot and you look at Hassel and you look at those big practices and I think it's Woods Bagot started in Adelaide, which I think is fantastic. But yeah, I would love future space to be around for a long time, well beyond the lifespan of Stephen and I. So you're building a legacy. Absolutely. So you're about to bring on a new CEO for Future Space. What other things have you implemented or put in place to help you deal with the burnout that you felt? Is there anything in terms of your day-to-day way that you run the business and, and in terms of the impact on you and your stress levels that you've been able to implement to help manage that? Yeah, look, I think what led to the burnout was just years and years of relentlessly running a practice and trying to do everything. I don't think Australia supports small business very well, not when you look at examples like the way Singapore works. They have no natural resources. Everything they do is about business. So they really do support businesses. Whereas I think here, there's so many taxes. You pay tax on the payroll that you pay for your staff. It's like a punishment for employing people. So it's very difficult, I think, and very relentless uh, to run a business. And it's constant. It's 24-7. We never say no to projects because you don't know where the next project's coming from. It's getting more and more competitive. There's more and more small practices around. You're having to get earlier and earlier in the door to win work. We've had a few instances lately where we've had fantastic relationships with long-term existing clients. And when it's come to a new piece of work, they have come back to us and said, well, the relationship we have counted for nothing. So it's like, gosh, what else can you do? If I had known, what, 15, 18 years ago, what I know today, I probably wouldn't do this again. And then working six days a week, I try and have one day off a week, but that doesn't always work. So that relentlessness, that constant working, that always worrying about, we know what the next three months looks like. We don't know what the next six months looks like. That really led to just this, for me, a real hitting the wall, completely burnt out, zero motivation and no joy in what I was doing, right? And that was the thing that got me because I love what I do and it's not just a job. It really is who I am and my whole way of life and way of being. And so to have no joy in that anymore, that was the thing that really sent me over the edge. And so, yeah, so I think recognising that and then being able to talk to Stephen about it. And he was amazing. He was so supportive. You know, he just went into action man mode, which was terrific. So I was able to put some things in place to really look at, you know, what needed to happen for the future of future space, but what also needed to happen for the future of me. Do you think the demands of of your business, you mentioned you work six days a week, is that something that you just accept is going to be ongoing because of perhaps the nature of your work and the type of projects that you do? Yeah, it's hard because during the week, you know, Monday to Friday, it's all about seeing clients and developing new opportunities and spending time with staff. And there really is no time. If I ignore my emails, I can get heaps done. But you do that for a couple of days and they pile up. And I've got a lot of strategies around managing my email. All my CCs go to a different inbox that I never, ever read. And there's that new thing now where any mail and EDMs go to a different inbox. So it's only the stuff that's to me that's coming in my inbox. But there's still, you know, hundreds and sometimes thousands of emails in there. You know, so the weekends are really that catch-up time and the thinking time that I don't get during the week. And how do you balance that with your family and, you know, spending time with your family as well? Actually, when Tobes, so Toby's my little boy, I gradually went back to work after he was born. So I think I went back around four months and I still feel like that was a little bit early, but it was sort of that point I couldn't kind of not go in anymore. So I was able to have someone helping me at home for the first couple of years. And then when he was two, he went to daycare two days and then three, three days, four, four days, and then 
than five, he's at school. So I kind of gradually went back. But as he's got older and, and, you know, needed me less, I've actually just worked more, which is a little bit crazy. So yeah, I do try and carve out time for him, but he's starting to get his own busy life now as well. So how old is Toby now? So he's about to turn 13. So he's in year seven. So how early into the practice of Future Space did you, it was, did you mention it was at the start of, of merging the practices that you had Toby? I had Tobes in October 2006 and we merged Future Space and Ferguson in October 09. So it was three years later. So you were still running Ferguson at the time that you had Toby and it was your own practice. And how many staff did you have? Uh, I think I had about five or six. It fluctuated a little bit. But I think the thing that allowed me to do that was that I had an amazing 2IC and I was still a subtenant of Future Space. So Stephen could also step in. So he would still do the financial, you know, the monthly invoicing and things. And they had an amazing 2IC who treated the business as it was her own. And that really gave me the opportunity to take a proper four months off and then gradually work my way back in. And were you very much the director. I guess you had Stephen as well as another person to help share that load of directing the company or being part of that vision of, of where the company was going. Was his time split though between Future Space and Ferguson? Yeah, it was It was pretty kind of mixed in and I think it was that time where we were doing, starting to do more and more together. But he's a bit like me. I questioned myself recently, like, am I a workaholic? But we both love what we do and it's not like we're sitting at a desk all day doing spreadsheets. I think that's the interesting thing about our profession. Say a lot of people are very passionate about what they do. So we talk about this work-life balance, but it's not so much work and life. They're like intertwined. So how do you feel now about balancing that moving forward as well? To me, it's a it's a real discipline. I see a lot of women doing too many things at once. And that's been one of my big learnings is I just try and do one thing at a time. And that's the thing I'm always going on at Toby about as well. Like he's on the sofa with a device, watching the TV with his headphones on. I'm like, mate, one thing at a time, because he can't be doing anything properly. So that's been my big thing, one thing at a time. And if I'm at home with my family, I'm present. And I don't always do that perfectly, but that's my aim. I just try and be present in whatever I'm doing, you know, whether that's being with a staff member or a client. I try not to take my laptop into a meeting because it's too tempting to just sit there and eat and only half listen. You know, all those sorts of things. You mentioned you're announcing a new CEO and, and I suppose you have this sharing role with Stephen too. So has sharing the roles perhaps helped you in getting over this wall that you hit? To me, defining a plan for the future and defining some goals and also defining because... I'm actually about to turn 50, right? So I can't keep working for another 20, 30 years and I don't want to because there's other things I want to do. I will still be working in design and I will always wind design into my travel and it will always be a part of my life. But I don't want to be doing this, what I'm doing right now for another 10 years because I've been going flat out for a ridiculous amount of time. So for me, it was defining not the end, but defining what the future looks like and a future that has me doing the things that I'm best at and doing the things that I'm most passionate at and not managing a cash flow, which I'm very capable of doing, but it's not really my passion and spending time with people and spending time developing strategies for clients. That's the sort of stuff I love. So can we unpick a bit as well, this discussion you had around you, you had Toby and progressively started going back to work in terms of managing that in terms of the demands of work. And then also, do you feel that there were any general social pressures on you to act in a certain way once you had a family as well as work and managing that balance? The thing I did find difficult was not being 100% in the office and 
then also not being 100% not at work. So I would go to my mother's group and all the other mothers, none of them were working. So I felt really left out of the mother's group. And then I would go into the office and people were having lunches and doing all this social stuff outside of work. And I had to go home to the baby. Not that I didn't want to, but then, so I didn't feel like I belonged at work and I didn't feel like I belonged with all the other mothers. So it was a bit of this in-between space that was a bit hard to deal with. I think that is a really tricky period for a lot of mothers or, or women when they become mothers too, to balance that work and having a responsibility. Suddenly you're responsible for another human being and you can't walk away from that. You have to be there, not just as the single parent, both parents have to be around. There does seem to be a particular pressures on a mother more so still, I think, although I think that's changing more. I think the, the, the discussion is progressing more towards being a parent and juggling being a parent with work. Yeah, definitely. I think we have quite a few dads at school who were the primary caregiver and, and I think it's still really slow, that change. They still come across a lot of prejudice and bias around what they do. And even recently, as last year, one of the other dads was telling me about how he was told he was a kept man, which he's a big, big guy from Peru. And that's not the type of person you would say that to. He was not happy. So how do you balance? How did you balance? And how do you still balance the sharing of parenting with Stephen and work? Look, Stephen's pretty amazing, actually. I think he's, um, he's a baby boomer. So he's had to change, I guess, a lot of his traditional thinking around all sorts of things and being married to me as well. He calls me a challenge, but I know he means that in the nicest possible way. But he's a a good man and he's got older kids as well and he loves all his kids and he's a great dad. And so what I really love about our relationship actually is the example that we're setting for our child because he sees me doing very non-traditional female roles both at home and at work and he sees Stephen also doing very what you would call non-traditional male roles at home and at work so I don't think he's got any bias around men do this and women do that and I feel like there's a lot of families that are like that so I think the kids of those families are the ones that are really starting to see some of that change around gender bias and around men do this and women do that. So do you feel the role is shared quite equally? Yeah definitely and we each just play to our strengths really. Actually a couple of years ago, I got sick of cooking dinner and I got sick of thinking of something else to cook for dinner. So I just stopped. (laughs) And then not long after, a few months later, he said, "Uh, do you want me to just take care of dinners from now on? I was like, yep, absolutely. (laughs) So he does. He does a great job. And I just do the show off cooking now on the weekends. So in terms of the company and looking towards the future, have you developed a pathway for employees also to become shareholders within the company? Yeah, that's something that we're working on at the moment, particularly with this new CEO coming into the business. We've always been really open to that. And so far, though, no one's shown a lot of interest. But I think that that's starting to emerge now. And it's definitely something that we're looking at, particularly with having studios in Melbourne and in Sydney. Yeah, it's definitely on the cards. And who manages the practice in Melbourne? We have a senior person down there, but all of our directors will work between the two studios. So we try and have this one studio across currently two locations, but we're working all down the East Coast, Perth, Auckland and New Zealand, just from those, sorry, Auckland and China, just from those two locations. So we use technology to keep ourselves connected in real time. And it's pretty easy to get from Sydney to Melbourne. I'm from Melbourne originally too. So I spend a lot of time there with family. So we do split between the two physically. What's the structure of the company then? 
you, you're the managing director and you have Stephen as well at the top as directors, I assume. What's the structure below? Well, so we're the two equity directors, but then we've got two other directors. So Gavin Harris, who is our design director, and he kind of oversees most of the design. So whether it's on a project he's the lead design person or we'll do peer reviews. And so he'll run those peer reviews. And the reviews are all about not sticking to a certain style, but they're really about making sure that whatever we're putting out there is the best it can be. And then we have a technical director, Joseph Daly, who is Irish trained. And I think he's Irish, but studied in Ireland and their schools over there are fantastic. So Joe's this amazing technical wizard who can build and construct anything. And the way Gavin work together actually is really, you know, they really work hand in hand in terms of kind of making the vision real. Thanks for listening to this episode. Join us next time to hear the final instalment of Angela's conversation with Isabel. The Business of Architecture and Design podcast is produced by Joanne Davies, publisher of Australian Design Review and Architectural Review, Madeline Swain, editor of Architectural Review and Niche Media. With thanks to our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, and also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. For more information and links, visit the episode webpage. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us.